1: Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, and with me is one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, the incomparable Matt Rossi. How are you doing today? Uh, Recently, I was just compared to something. Fair enough.
0: (laughs) So, before Uh, we get started... In terms of what I'm doing today, uh, the only thing I'm really thinking about lately is I'm spending way too much time thinking about the backstory for a character I've played exactly twice... In two one shot Shadowrun games. So yeah, that's where I am right now.
1: Well, I, I personally love it because I think your character is absolutely fantastic. And for those of you at home that are listening to this now, in case you missed it, we did run another Shadowrun game, uh, set in the same universe as before. So be sure to check out the, the site and, uh, and everything. And I believe the VOD is still up for it as well, uh, so that you can actually participate and listen to the wonderful world of, uh, weird fantasy corporate shenanigans. So, And before we get started with another thing, uh, I do have a question for you, Matt, and this is not pertaining to lore in Blizzard yet, but it is pertaining to lore and books that you created. Uh, we actually had a question come in about whether or not your books, which are absolutely fantastic in my opinion, uh, are going to be getting an audiobook for the UK at any point.
0: Um, I mean, the audiobook's on Audible. If you can't buy it through the UK Amazon, I don't know what to tell you. Um, if you support me on patreon you can get everything I've written including the in the audiobook as well we have the audiobook available on my patreon so yeah if that's something you want and you can't get it through amazon throw me like one dollar once for like one month and then you can you basically just download everything I've ever done and call it good <clears throat> Fantastic. That's, that's I mean I don't I don't really know maybe I'll I'll, I'll make a, a tweet or something where people can find that
1: I think that would be a good idea because it was Something that people were asking about Um, And not just uh, talking about supporting Matt, but supporting us as well. Uh, We generally answer questions from our Patreons here at Blizzard Watch, which is what we're going to be doing again today. Uh, And if you do have questions for this show or the other podcast or the queue, you can go ahead and send them in. We do have two channels set in the Discord server. Uh, We do have one specifically for patrons uh, that we do look at first or we try to look at first. So be sure if you are a patron to to put them there so we can see them. Uh, We do have one for non-patrons. If you can't do that, uh, we do look there as well. And if you want to email us questions, you can email it at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. And uh, we'll try to answer as many of your questions as we can, because honestly, I like answering your questions. I think it's fun. Uh, so we're going to start off with one from Belloc of Dragonblight. Dear Watchers, I really enjoyed this week's discussion about hidden parts of Azeroth in future exploration. However, I think there's one major problem with that. The Vindicar. It either was or probably still is parked in orbit over, over Azeroth. You can't convince me nobody ever looked out the window. It seems like the only thing required to map the continental landmass is to ask Velen for a pick, and then maybe
0: send Flynn and Matthias to investigate. Your thoughts? How... Let me ask you a question. Say you've got the International Space Station. It's up in geosynchronous orbit. And you don't have cameras, or you have very limited camera technology. And you don't have computers, or you have very limited computer technology. How do you map things? I think one of the reasons we can map the surface of the Earth from space is that we have all sorts of ability to see through clouds. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to take very micro and macro scale pictures. We have computers that can collate tens of thousands of images to create the, the, the mapping we have. The, the Vindicar is just a spaceship. And in fact, it's a dimension ship. And in fact, as far as we know, it can't do anything anymore. Like, its gun doesn't work. It's got a bunch of lightforge living on it, and that seems to be the sum total of its capacity. It doesn't It isn't doing anything. It didn't show up for any of the major conflicts we just had. The Vindicar didn't just pop up and laser the gates of Orgamar open. It, it has not been active. Now, obviously we know it has not been active because it ruins story, but in terms of story, there's a reason why the Vindicar is not doing anything. Cool. I just... I, it's a non-issue. <clears throat> just because we have a thing that can float up in the air and you can look down on the planet, doesn't mean, you know, we've had this thing for a while and we're still not 100% sure what the planet looks like. Heck... When we were on Argus we could look through a giant portal right onto the planet Azeroth. You couldn't see any of the land masses. So yep. I don't really have a problem with it. The Vindicar well, you know, for that matter, before the Vindicar even existed, we still had stuff like, you know, flying blimps and everything, and we still haven't done much with them. I just I don't really feel like the, the problem with Azeroth isn't necessarily a lack of the the technology to do these things or the magic to do these things since they do have magic. It's more like they always have something else they're more interested in doing, and it usually involves killing each other. Uh, yeah, and I mean we're we're
1: starting to get a little bit more about that. Like uh, Christy Golden is doing the whole I think the Explorer series, or I, I can't remember exactly I, what it's yeah
0: there's the, the the Flynn and. Uh,
1: Florian Matthias exploration yeah. series, which we're starting. I don't
0: remember what it's called either, but yeah, that book's coming out soon.
1: And so that there is going to be something happening with that, at least in that that capacity. Uh, but the other thing to consider too is the few times that we've been in space, like when we're on Argus, when we're looking back, and we look up in the sky and you see Azeroth. One of the big things you see are essentially storm fronts and cloud cover covering a lot of the planet. And I know its it seems like one of those convenient ways to not actually commit to showing the rest of the planet, but it makes sense in terms of the lore. The planet has been going through a whole bunch of catastrophe for for thousands of years whether it was the sundering whether it was the maelstrom being torn open with with deathwing uh flying through the crust of the dimensional plane that separated the the earth realm from azeroth proper uh to a giant sword being plunged into it by a titan that's being ripped away from it like the planet is not in a great state and one of the things that happens at least in real life is when tectonic plates move things rumble, things happen, tsunamis occur. As temperatures shift, the weather patterns become denser or they become more volatile. And Azeroth is not exactly a peaceful place. It hasn't been for a very long time. So having those storms, having those magical maelstroms, having the trauma of the planet sort of bubble up and and move through the rest of the world and kind of produce like this weird cover that means that you maybe the vindicar can't see through it makes perfect sense to me uh at least logically speaking and i think that we're going to see more traditional ways of exploring the world and i think that's going to be something a little more better i think that the story is served better by slower exploration methods i like the idea of a uh, flynn and matthias going through and charting the entirety of the planet we've talked about this before you know they discover a landmass they report it back we go and investigate we in- encounter new cultures new people new races new ways of looking at things maybe new ideas of druidism maybe new ideas of shamanism uh, maybe new ideas of warfare or or combat or ancestor worship like the and the keep possi- in mind
0: too uh sorry uh, go ahead keep- one thing to keep in mind, Azeroth was visible from Black Temple, mm-hmm. and you couldn't see anything then either. It, it's just kind of a whitish globe. You know, It's just quite possible that you can't really see much from outside the planet. Um, and in terms of what you might be dealing with, one thing to keep in mind is that it, it might be possible to use the Vindicar in its orbit, even if the Vindicar doesn't have the capacity to move anymore. You might be able to use it to say, oh, hey, there's something over there but that might be all you can do. Like you, you can know something's there to go look at it, but you have to still send people to go look at it. Cause you don't have like, the Vindicar does not have an advanced camera suite or, you know, imaging system. You could pr- maybe get some gnomes up there and get them to start working on one, but there, you know, you, there's a lot of limitations to this kind of thing. I mean, yes, you could write a story all about how gnomes want to repurpose the Vindicar to become an Azeroth mapping device. But it's not really in the fitting in the, in the settings story. It's not the kind of thing that they tell. It really comes down to that. I don't really feel like it's a tremendous problem to believe that the Vindicar, since it hasn't done anything since it parked itself up there. I mean, I don't even know for sure where the Vindicar is. Like, yeah, we, don't, up, we can't look up in the sky and see it right now, right? Like, it, we don't know where it be, is. There's a teleporter to it in Stormwind. That is the only connection that I know of between the Vindicar and any place at this point. It goes from the Vindicar to Stormwind. And that's it's al- it.
1: It's also entirely possible that it's still hanging around uh, Argus. We don't know. Right? Well like it-
0: no, we, we do know that it isn't still hanging around Argus because we saw it A, you can see Azeroth from it. When you go up to the front of the Vindicar, you can look down and see it. It's right okay. there. Okay. Okay. Um but also it's the the ship they escaped in. It's the ship Velen and his everybody but but Illidan piled into the Vindigar and took off when, when Sargeras was getting yanked back. Sargeras tries to get it. Like he actually goes, no, and he tries to grab it on its way by. And they're like, I'm sure the whoever was piloting the Vindigar is like, I was not prepared for the giant end. But, um, you know, that, so we know it's, it's on our side of the portal because the portal closed. You can even see the, the portal, the red mm, thing enough. in the sky. So, yeah, we know it's, it's somewhere around Azeroth, but we don't know where like it, it could be above i mean it's real pretty the view is really nice i, I recommend rolling the light forged if you want to go look out out the window and be like ah that's really pretty but you, i couldn't tell you where that is there's there's nothing you, you can see nothing from the bridge of the vindicar you can see nothing like you just see the planet and it's just there's there's some blue and some white and that's all you got
1: yeah and, I mean, the idea of possibly ter- turning that technology into maybe something story-wise that we use for some exploration, maybe in the future that could be something that happens after we're done with Shadowlands, or maybe that happens while we're in Shadowlands, is those that are staying on Azeroth that can't go to the other realm or don't go to the other realm are, you know, spending their time, again, like Flynn and Matthias, trying to figure out what else exists on the planet, because I, I know this was, I don't want to say a mistake, uh, but back during the original Argus fight, when you used to look over at Azeroth, it was rotating a lot faster than it does now. They slowed it down quite a bit, um, and I think that it lends itself, a uh, with the slower rotation, a larger sense of scale than I think it did before, and I think that carries over well. I think the idea that we don't know how large... Azeroth actually is is a good thing. Uh, I think that it leaves it with potential. Like as far as we know, we've only seen one hemisphere. Like we've only seen part of the world. And the other interesting thing is like you can't even go to a Titan facility and look at a map because back all those maps are mainly what the world used to be or what the one landmass used to be. And like I don't think we've ever seen like a full, truly in depth globe. We thought we have. But they've all proven limited. I, and like we, like you said, like the Vindicar may be doing nothing. The Vindicar may be, you know, not capable of doing anything. It may just be simply a geosynchronous orbit where it can keep itself from crashing
0: into the planet like the Exodar did. Uh, you know, for a fact, one thing we do know Grand Artificer Rommel is up there mm-hmm. still, right now. He's apparently not going back to the Exodar, he's spending his time working on the maintenance of the vessel. He might be trying to fix it. Keep in mind, that gun they fired to ble- to breach in Taurus, that gun was not Whew. standard to the Vindicar.
1: No, it wasn't.
0: It was off of the other ship. Uh, the Je- Not the Genadar, the uh, Zenidar. They took they took a Xenadar weapon, and the Xenadar is much bigger than the Vindicar.
1: Which arguably means it has more power.
0: Yeah. They plugged that thing in, fired it once, Never saw him shoot it again. I mean, if you use the, the ability in your campaign, you could, you could have it target things on the ground for you, but those were always limited strikes. Those were like, shoot these guys. Those weren't, blow open this gate into a former Titan facility held by the Burning Legion, please and thank you. And that's what they did. That's how you get in. When you go, that's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons I hate running Antorus is because you go up to the front door of Antorus, you can't get in. You have to actually go around and go in the side. Uh, and there's a hole that they blew into the building that you go in through.
1: Yeah, it's a whole cutscene as part of that encounter.
0: Yeah. So, in terms of the Vindicar, we don't know what its status is. We don't know if it's how well it's working really know very little about it at the moment it just has not come up it has not been important to the story so
1: but maybe in the future with the like we said with christy golden's book coming out i think that we might see more of that and that might mean something more for the future of the game uh which i think would be absolutely cool uh our next question Hello, Lorewatch. This is Pliskin, 120DK on Exodar, but you can call me Snake. Bet you thought I was dead. Sorry to keep you waiting. My question is as follows. What possible Uh, I didn't
0: think you were dead. I thought you were tameable now. By the way, you're tameable now.
1: You're totally tameable now. I I was going to do the whole uh, Metal Gear Solid Snake. Snake! Uh, Which I just did, so there you go. Uh, My question is as follows. What possible lore explanation is there for our characters not being corrupted in any way from all the different armor we have worn? As a DK, we started wearing Serenite armor, which is the blood of an old god. I understand gameplay mechanics being a reason, but was wondering your thoughts. That's a good question. How do we not become corrupted? What do you think?
0: Because we're just so good just so good. And we're not corrupted at all and we're not secretly doing bad things.
1: You mean our decision-making has been solid from the very beginning and nothing
0: we've ever done has been questionable? Back in back in Wrath of the Lich King, as, as the amount of Saranite we were using grew exponentially bigger, and as we were putting the stuff on our heads and on our groins and all, all over our bodies, I, I remember writing a post saying, are we sure about this, guys? Is, does this feel like a really great decision on our parts? And after I wrote that piece, like literally, like the patch after I wrote that piece, Blizzard did a quest for Quel'Delar where you use Saranite to repair it. Mm-hmm. And immediately, the Ghost of Uther's like, "Are you nuts? You use Saranite to repair that thing? Now it's possessed by pure evil, and you had to go purge it." And we kept wearing our Saranite gear after that. I'm sitting there going, guys, guys, I seriously, we need to have a talk about all the Saranite. And of course we stopped using serenite because we found new materials that that were even even more old goddy like the elementium that that deathwing made his plates out of. Uh <clears throat> and it keeps we keep doing this. New expansion, let's let's find something. I don't know what this is, but let's wear it. This is like resin made straight from the blood of an old god. Okay, sure, yeah, let's put that on. Uh, you know, we we have poor decision making skills is what I'm saying. Uh the whole thing about using corruption in in this particular expansion, the thing that really gets me about it, is that we do a lot of it. Um, there's just just a ton of it everywhere. We're just yeah, it's it's it, a lot of a lot of it to It's me not is, good. It, it's, it's it's not. I think ultimately, I'm gonna shut up so Joe can talk. But I'm just gonna say, I think ultimately, a lot of it we just kind of get. We get, we do it. We don't really talk about it. Like there's, there's some lip service to we're turning their power against them, and then we just move on. And I think there's some long term. If you look at the results of the player characters' actions throughout World of Warcraft, we we, we are at best the the least bad option a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, that's a that's a really good way to put it. I. I... So I've given this a lot of thought, and I think corruption is probably the one mechanic that really drives home how terrible some of our idea-making processes are as heroes. We're convinced that as champions of whatever faction we are, as truly champions of Azeroth that we are infallible that we cannot possibly have anything go wrong that we are so powerful that we can resist even the corruption of the old god as we put bits of their body onto ours and it's just a horrible idea and you look at it and it's even in the story and the mechanics of the last section of this expansion right you are gaining resistance by using Essentially a black dragon scale uh, that's been enchanted and powered up through the Wahoo uh, uh, using all of, again, bits of old gaudy stuff because we're going into a horrific visions uh of brain space or whatever that is, this land in between realms, uh, to get pieces from there in order to power ourselves up to resist the corruption. How this makes any logical sense, I don't know. We're using bits of old god corruption to resist old god corruption. Again, why? But as you, your character has those corruption effects, it's the first time we visually see something happen to our characters. And while I personally don't like the effect, uh because it gives me a slight migraine, the idea of looking at it where there is actually a physical representation of how horrible this idea is is there and yes we can cleanse those pieces we have the ability to do so but if you don't you are crawling with weird purpley black glowing pulsating ichor and that if that isn't just hitting the nail on the head of everything we've been doing since Serenite and before even like that that's it right there how in game how we resist it there has never really been an explanation there has never really been anything that has come out and said here is why the heroes don't fall prey to it you know what it's treating it
0: like? It's treating it like an allergy. Mm-hmm. Because you can do that with an allergen. If people are like allergic to something, you can actually... you can use, That's controlled immunology. They do it all the time. They they hit you with enough of it over a long enough period that your body's like, oh, we're just wasting energy freaking out about this. This stuff is just here and we're just going a- to have to Basically therapy. aversion therapy. No, no, no! Not aversion therapy. Uh, it's literal immunology. They just instead of aversion therapy, which is where they're trying to wean you off of something by making you not averse to it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. This is not that. This I'm is literally apologies. Yeah. The the way that that works, and this works in immunology. If you're allergic to something, they they can even do it with mosquito bites. If you're if you're really getting feasted on by mosquitoes and you want to dampen the allergic reaction, which is why you get welts and stuff. They can do that. They don't. They don't want to because knowing that you've been bitten by a mosquito is useful, because mosquitoes can carry like stuff like West Nile. But they can do it. They can. They can. Stri- they can strip you of a lot of immune responses. The thing is, is that I don't think old god corruption is an is an allergy. I'm not allergic to the old gods. <laughs> I'm you know, like oh man, I can't eat this. It's got old god on it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's like peanuts. Yeah, it's like peanuts. No, it's. You can't just scrape off the old god and call it good. It's, this thing is literally made of old god. This is old god blood. Um, so, so um, I don't think that this. I think ultimately this is just one of those things that they did because it sounded cool.
1: Yeah, but I also now, think I also think that there might be something in game that leans to the fact that we're not immune. Now that I'm thinking well, we're not, about it,
0: I'll tell you right, frankly, right now. I, I still believe this. cajamite is old god brain. It has to be. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that it's so similar to Azerite makes me really, really unhappy. And I agree. It says some things about Azeroth in her current state. Uh, but yeah. So the other thing that I was thinking about
1: is going back to Mr. Pandaria and the Neuroshen fight. Like we, that is one of the first times where we start hearing the process of you have corruption with you and must be purged. And it's repeated again in Battle for Azeroth in Aldir with Mother. You have corruption in you. It must be purged. We aren't immune to the effects. Now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, like the game has even essentially told us as such. Like there have been literal encounters designed around the idea that you are not immune from the effects of old God or, or corruption in some capacity. So... Yeah, maybe maybe the reason we haven't seen anything that says we're immune to it is because we're not. We are affected by it. It does affect us in some capacity. Uh, We know that Azerite does. We know that Azerite makes us feel more strongly or have bright ideas. We see it in the stories. Uh, We've been wearing Azerite gear for this entire expansion, not just old god bits. But like Matt's pointing out, uh, don't feel good about Casamite. Don't feel good about Azerite. Maybe because it is affecting us. Maybe it is affecting the way we make decisions. Maybe it is having an impact on how we are as as heroes in this world. So, yeah, there you go. I don't think that it is uh, any lore reason why we're not, because I think the lore has proven, now that I'm thinking about it, that we are actually 100% corruptible and affected by it. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next question. Hello, watchers. I've recently finished the final piece of StarCraft Two, and the way it ends is reminding me of several things in World of Warcraft. I know there are a lot of parallels between Kerrigan and Sylvanas, but there's an interesting thing with the ending of Kerrigan's story. At the end, even though she has, in her own words, committed a lot of atrocities, she ends up being given the power of the last Zelnaga and destroys Amon, and as I recall, has a line about setting everyone free. This seems like an interesting comparison given Sylvanas' words during the cinematic when she breaks the helm. Which leads to my question. Do you think Blizzard is going to try going down the same redemption path with Sylvanas, where she makes a massive sacrifice and fixes things? If yes, could you point to any evidence that might lead to it? If not, why do you think they're continuing with the story parallels? Uh, This is from Zunam, a Draenei death knight on Nessingray. You feel strongly about Sylvanas redemption arcs. I'll
0: let you go first. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. Um, they certainly might be doing that. And yeah, there's always been a lot of sim- a similarities between Kerrigan and, and Sylvanas. Uh, since they made Sylvanas. Because remember, Kerrigan actually came first.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but since they made Sylvanas, she's very definitely very similar to Kerrigan in a lot of ways. And the storyline from StarCraft 2. that's a, It's a hard topic because a lot of people really didn't like that story. Mm-hmm a lot of people were confused by it a lot of people just thought what why why is this where we are this doesn't re-. and the Zelnaga and that stuff was was always kind of out there that they were involved in the origin of the zerg that they were involved in the origin of the protoss that they that they did what they did and then they were gone Th- they were part of the story but to have amon suddenly come back and be this big deal and how he, he he's so involved in wings of liberty not wings of liberty but you know the whole starcraft 2 storyline big part of uh, Legacy of the Void. I was just writing about Legacy of the Void today. So, I mean, ultimately, as a player of the game, I don't want that story. I just straight up don't want it. There is no way to do that, and that's the thing I feel like you you kind of have to understand. Certain things you cannot just forget happened because somebody you know does a heroic last stand moment. You just can't, you know, you, there's no redemption for it. The, you you can't be forgiven for it. Just because you do, you know, but I I also did this really good thing. Yeah, but you still did the bad thing. And, you know, that's up to the people you did the bad thing to, to whether or not they, they want to forgive you. And each individual, one of them, gets to have that. It, it doesn't, <sighs> I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to do that. They certainly have in the past shown a, a willingness to repeat tropes. Um, they like certain themes, and that those themes come up from time to time. Uh, maybe less so now that a lot of old guard people have left the company. But you know, the, these the, you can't I, can't. I would feel silly trying to deny the fact that you see a lot of the same stuff with Kerrigan and with Sylvanas, and to a lesser extent with Widowmaker. The the strangely blue. Uh, does bad things, but everybody likes them because they're a popular, hot character. Uh, that's there. I, I, I'm not going to pretend I don't see it. I, I don't. I just ultimately don't really have an answer for you. I would not like that story. I would not think it was good. That's why I. Uh, but I can't tell you it's not going to happen. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. And and quite frankly, I'd almost be okay with finding out Savannah really believed she had the best interests of ever everybody as long as she didn't succeed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? As long as she didn't get to like, you know, but look, I saved the day. Everybody likes me again. Uh, I would, at the end of the day, want Sylvanas to, to, there has to be consequences to your actions. If you're the kind of person, when you do that story where somebody makes the hard choice and does the awful thing, like one of the, one of the examples of that, that I think worked pretty well, not that I thought Mass Effect three was perfect, but Mass Effect two, Mass Effect three, Shepard chooses to blow up a, a mass relay, knowing it will take out a star system that is going to kill hundreds of thousands of Batarians. They're going to die because of what Shepard does. Shepard does it because the alternative is to let the Reapers walk in and just have unrestricted access to the galaxy. So Shepard does it. And that's presented as it was nobody's sweeping it under the rug. Everybody knows that that thing that Shepard did was like awful. Shepard knows it. Shepard even, like, at one point confronts a Batarian who's, like, got a gun on him, or her. I'm going to say her from now on because that's usually what i play. Um, And she says, you know, yeah, you work with us and we can stop the Reapers and save what's left of your people. And he's like, you killed hundreds of thousands. He goes, yeah, and I'd do it again. I didn't, I don't like it, but it, it had to be done. That kind of decision-making is fine, but it has to have a cost. And I think that's one of the reasons why people don't really understand it. But Shepard had to die. Mm-hmm. At the end of Mass Effect 3, had to, could not be a happy ending for Shepard. It's not that Shepard was a bad person, but Shepard had done something that was just gonna forever be on them, and there had to be a narrative consequence to it. And that's what I want from Sylvanas' story. I want there to be a narrative consequence to her actions. It doesn't need to be she gets murdered and she's dead, we never see her again. But there needs to be something more than, you know, oh I saved the day and everybody likes me again. That's just not satisfying yeah and that's
1: something i agree with and i actually just got done guessing on another podcast where i talked about exactly that like there needs to be a the conclusion of Sylvanas' story can't be happy but it also can't just completely get rid of her it wouldn't be in my opinion it doesn't serve the character well it doesn't serve the story well uh with kerrigan they sort of did that right they sort of okay all the sins are washed away now because she did this one really great thing and everything's great and everybody loves her again and everything's happy you know and blah 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 if people feel very strongly about that story and people are going to feel very strongly about whatever happens with solanus and that's good uh that they're going to be that invested in it but if she just dies then it has to me just has no meaning right? It's just another thing that happened. It didn't have any purpose. It didn't really do anything. Everything she did was just atrocities for atrocity's sake. Uh, if it washes away all of her sins, and we have this heroic moment that absolves her of everything she's done wrong, it has the same effect. There has to be a reckoning. There has to be something here that is more than either of those two outcomes. There has to be something that it it feels more complete that there is consequences for actions, and Matt makes a really great point with the end of Mass Effect three. Regardless of how you felt about that ending, no matter what Shepard did, have to die, and it 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 was the one thing that made sense. And in those stories, in where we have, you know, the person that makes the hard decisions. That was the consequence to Shepard's action that needed to be done. But there are other ones where, you know, the person did the right thing. Maybe it was they assassinated the, the, the tyrant, uh, but they're still broke, they broke the law to do it. And so they spend the rest of their life trapped away in a tower. That's the consequence of their action. It doesn't matter what they did was good. They still pay the price for their action. And it's those moments that feel fulfilled in in what happened from point A to point B is that person, that that character accepts the consequences of their actions no matter what. So if it turns out like Sylvanas was right all along and, you know, what she was doing, you know, was to get to this point to fix something that was broken that only she could see, fine. But not if she's lauded as a hero afterwards. It's sort of that same moment with like Bolvar, right? When when Bolvar gets to puts on the helm of domination and sits on the frozen throne and encases himself in ice everything that he's made choice-wise as the big hero to that point everything that's led up to that point from even his torture and everything else the consequence of his choice is to not be remembered as a hero nobody can know Uh, up until recently that he was the lich king now that he had to sit on that throne for all intents and purposes his sacrifice could not be known right and that made that weight of his decision feel important and anything that happens with sylvanas has to have that gravitas to it in my opinion it has to have some form of reckoning some form of of I accept that I did these horrible, horrible things to get here in some capacity, and I don't know what it's going to be. I can't predict it at this point, which is honestly feels good to say, Um, but I have faith that they're not going to just do it as uh, she's all forgiven or she's dead and removed from the the entirety of the story. I think there's something more important or something bigger planned that will deal with the reckoning of all of that. Um, I don't think she's going to be a Kerrigan. I think she's going to be a Sylvanas and I think it's going to be something new and something different. I think, I think so. Uh, I don't think you have anything else to add to that that topic or. I mean, I do, but
0: we have other things to talk about.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, we have plenty of time. And uh, so I guess the next one here, we have a, a very quick question from an anonymous. Who's closest to the dark side? Which character in-game who's currently good should we be hiding the X's from now?
0: Andrew and Ren. Yeah, I think that's the obvious choice, right? Like we... I mean, they're, they're setting it up uh, in Shadows Rising, and we know he's about to go through some serious uh, stuff in Shadowlands, and we don't even know... I don't even know what happens after we get to Oribos. He doesn't seem to come with us, that I'm aware of. Um... You've done it more recently than me. I haven't actually leveled the character in a little bit. Uh, does the does Anduin no. come through? I mean, that's, that's, that's straight
1: up a plot point. The slight spoilers here, I guess, and I'll leave the warning for at least this topic. Give us about five minutes if you don't want to hear the spoiler. Um, maybe ten. You don't free him, at least yet. It's not something that I see through the end of Ardenweald. The only person that you are able to yank out of there is Darian morgrain You save, quote-unquote, save Anduin, and there's this big heroic scene where uh, you are... You, you unshackle him. You're, you make it to this point where there's a portal that reacts to your touch, uh, for whatever reason and hasn't reacted to anybody since the first ones. You manage to power it up and you get out. They stay behind. This is Jaina, Anduin, Thrall. They're not with you in Oribos. Uh, and when you go back, you're going back specifically for Morgrain. Uh, you are not going back to save them. And as a matter of fact, there's a whole thing where there's video or or, or in-game cinematics that aren't in the game yet. Uh, and a matter of, a matter of fact, it just says awesome in-game event or awesome in-game cinematic, uh, which I'm sure it will be. But there's a moment where you and Bolvar are using a f- the fragment of the Helm of Domination on what is essentially like a map of the Shadowlands to see into the Maw at least enough to find out what's going on. And this is at the behest of Talia. And you do it, and he says, that's all I can see, I can't see anything more. And Menethil even says, I didn't hear Anduin, I didn't hear Bane, I didn't hear any of these voices that are still trapped in the Maw. Uh, And then there's a, a section after that where you, when you go to the Maw to save Darian, uh, you run into one of the—they're uh, not the collectors, barter brokers. Brokers are what they're called, and he even says that you know your friends aren't here. They're probably in that tower over there called Torghast. That's where the jailer keeps all of his prized possessions. Uh, so there's probably going to be something later on where we do spring them. And there's probably going to be a, an awesome in-game event or something where we go through Torghast or we hit a certain point of Torghast where we break them out. But as of right now, they're still on the Maw. They're still there. Uh, and Anduin, when we see him, he's being tortured. He's chained. He's locked up. He's being tormented in, like, this very spiky place in the Maw. Uh, and I can only imagine it gets worse from there. And I mean, even when we interact with Jaina, she's broken free of her jail cell, she says a thousand times, and every single time she winds up back in a jail cell. So this is torment. This The Maw is essentially hell. Like, that—that that is the parallel that it draws. That is what it does. It is a torturous place. So all of those traumatic events that he, that, that Anduin goes through, I agree, at the end of this. Anduin's probably going to be the one closest to the edge, closest with the rage issues, closest to, to want to latch onto that shadow power, especially with everything that they've set up in Shadows Rising. Anduin turning a blind eye to the th- stuff that Illyria uh, is doing, with the, uh, you know, the torturing, like knowing of it, being told about it, and deeming it acceptable. Like, he's already teetering on that before the helm breaks, before he goes through that torture. He's already starting to get to the sort of that, that darkening worldview. So there's a really good chance that uh, Anduin goes off the deep end. I would not be surprised. So, any other characters you think might be close to that point?
0: I mean, your shaman. My shaman? Yeah. Why is that? You just said mean things about gnomes, and that's just wrong.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, hey, listen, it's not my fault that gnomes are the most evil creation in all of Azerothian history. That's not my, that's not my fault. I not your like fault.
0: It's just completely not true and sign of your darkening and corruption. I mean, gnomes are at least good at something. Goblins aren't. You work alongside them. People who you know are going to make a thing that will explode, even if it wasn't supposed to explode. <laughs> <laughs> like that you know that they only have the, the inventiveness they have because they drank bits of old god brain and you're totally okay with it I
1: mean uh, I, I mean, just I figure mean, that the <laughs> problem of the problem of the goblins will take care of themselves they'll blow themselves up it'll be fine gnomes are dangerous distinctly dangerous sorry for all the gnomes out there but you are probably the most dangerous entity on Azeroth I'm gonna throw that out there
0: uh, uh, But you know, like I said we've pr- you know, you're just digging a deeper trench dude <laughs> <You're>, you <know. laughs> here I am shoveling out my hole. Look at me. I'm going to be evil soon.
1: Uh, but if I turn into a dark shaman, you have my permission to put me down with your warriorness.
0: Oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Just, do, you know, do you drop anything good for transmog? Nah, uh, mail? I'm not that interested.
1: Maybe. Probably a weapon of some type. Uh, so yeah, there, there, there might be more characters that wind up there. Jaina has already been very close to darkness several times.
0: At we, this point, Jaina is like, if Jaina was to go evil, would we entirely know? Yeah, like, um, maybe. I mean, when she gets really mad, I, I honestly thought she was going to cook Bane for a second there.
1: I also thought she was going to cook Bane for a second.
0: But the, I mean, and and also, I'm going to just say this much: when you get into the Maw, and yeah, we've already given you the spoiler warning, but. Of all the people who get kidnapped in this expansion, Gina is the one who breaks free multiple times and is like sitting there kicking butt. While Thrall is just like, oh, I got an algae. I can't fight. And then Gina's I don't like, have a weapon, burned. I can't fight. Oh man, don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> That's where I almost went evil. I like, could use this, but it's a sword. It's like, I'm gonna stab you. I'm gonna stab you. But there is. Pick, I don't care if I, you pick up a boat paddle and hit people with it.
1: But I think that's the most interesting thing about Shadowlands in general is, and this is such a simple question, but with such a complicated answer, there is a lot of potential for any of the major NPCs to go dark based off of what happens to them. Another thing to keep in mind, too, is at this point in my playthrough uh, of the beta, we don't know what's happened to Tyrande yet. Uh, And what happens to her could have a divine impact on a lot of npcs how would malfurion react to that we've already seen him you know close to darkness with everything that's happened uh, in battle for azeroth with everything that happened in Darkshore, with everything that happened with Teldrassel. like he's not exactly a happy flower sniffing druid at this point what happens if the love of his life you know his mate something horrible happens to her she's consumed by the you know darkening shadow of the moon you know what happens then what happens to him what happens to his rage we've already seen uh druids go over the deep end beforehand let me look at um why can't i think of his name fire druid um
0: you talking about fandril
1: yeah fandril staghelm he was was thinking we're
0: talking about liara you want to talk about consumed by rage oh we can talk about
1: liara as well But, like, look at what happened to them, consumed by their rage and grief and looking for, you know, a way to deal with whatever they're dealing with. All these characters can be very close to that. Uh, Quite
0: frankly, you know who would be interesting? Hmm. Because we've not really seen this very much. And when we did, it was a scheming Machiavellian type. I want you to imagine Bane. Bane Bloodhoof. Mm hmm. Who, at one point in one of the novels, Sylvanas was giving him lip, and she, he just kind of turned to her and, like, just said, you know, I think he, he took her arm in his hand just to, like, tell her to back off. And she realized he could snap her arm like a twig. Yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, Sylvanas isn't scared of much, but she backed off. She and there's like, are- I, I, I don't want to mess with this guy. Bane Bloodhoof is almost always restrained. It's almost always, when you see him fight, it's very seldom, and he usually fights in a very controlled manner. But this is a guy whose father got murdered, mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing for the Horde. This is a guy who had to work with the dude who killed his father, Yep. and then he had to defend him. And then, so got no actual judgment, there was no peace for Bane on that one, and then after that, had to he had to rebel twice. He actually had to, to to rebel against the horde twice now. This is a guy who is just waiting for that like tip over moment. And when he gets it, I don't want to be the people who have to try and fight him. Like straight up, he is going to wreck some people.
1: And if you, you think about mind. it, you think about it, the two like Bane is another one that throughout time he's had a target on his back where so even Sylvanas had to outmaneuver him. She knew she couldn't take him in a straight fight. Like, when he's imprisoned, it's because, very likely, she intentionally maneuvered him and manipulated him in such a way that he would either have to declare open warfare and, you know, destroy his ideals and possibly hurt people he cared about, or bow his head and, you know, be accepted as a prisoner of hers, right? Like, that happens. It's not a coincidence that that's how she goes about removing him from play for a while, that's intentional because, again, like Matt pointed out, he could destroy her. Now, taking point that he's in the Maw, he's in Torghast, he's being tormented, he's being tortured. We don't know what that looks like yet for him.
0: At one point, there is a quest where you end up having to fight Bane. There's and a there's not, a dungeon where
1: fun. the end times, look at that. We, we fight. Yeah, that's
0: not, I'm talking like in the Maw, there's a quest where they've broken Bane to the point where he fights you. Yeah. and you have to you have to fight the things possessing him to get him free.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's it's I'm just saying like it's not something that is out of the realm of possibilities. We we talked about before with the you know what if the end times were still coming, right? Like, what if that wasn't something that's been a- averted, right? We see Bane lost to despair. Well, that's exactly what's happening right now with him in the Maw. He's being lost to despair. So. Yeah, he's another one that's probably very close to that or could be close to that. And I think that's the, the, beautiful, the beautiful nature of this particular expansion is any character could fall to darkness. Any character is probably a half step away from that if they were really pushed the right way. So, all right, I guess we will move on to the next one here. Question for Lore Watch: uh, Based on the pre-patch quest on the PTR, we are set to encounter a f- uh, Forsworn Harold uh, Dolora, who says a number of interesting things to the player. The hour draws near when the Banished One shall reclaim what is his, and death comes from the soul er, for the soul of this world. What do you think she means by this? What do you think the jailer will be looking to reclaim and what does Azeroth's soul have to do with it? Perhaps a world soul is the jackpot of anima or maybe the jailer has other nefarious plans. I would love to hear your take on this, Corex I don't know. I don't think I, I don't I didn't see that event.
0: It's it's in the yeah, it is in the the, the, pre- um, the PTR, PTR. Right now. Yeah. Um from what I understand of it, I mean I think it's pretty straightforward that the scourge as they've broken free from the Lich King because the Lich King's helmet has been destroyed, some of them have been co-opted by the Jailer. The interesting thing is calling the Jailer the Banished One, and that seems to be what they're implying, uh, the Baylor, the, the, if we assume, if we accept, and I don't, I can't 100% say this, but if we accept that the Banished One is the Jailer, that implies the Jailer has been banished to the Shadowlands and to the Maw in particular. Like, that well, the mole exists to hold the Jailer.
1: Yeah, and they, they pretty much are, are pretty upfront about that early on in the when you're questing. Like, when you start learning about when you get to Oribos in the first place, they're pretty clear about that, that, that he was banished there.
0: But think about what that means. Was he banished there from another Shadowlands realm? Or was he banished from Azeroth?
1: Was he originally what... Ooh. Was he to Azeroth what... The arbiter was to the Shadowlands. Did he,
0: or maybe something else entirely? I mean, the, the yeah. arbiter—the arbiter might very well be in in the Shadowlands because the jailer is there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and might have actually be the one that banished him. We don't know that either. We don't know the relation of the arbiter to the first ones. Uh, there's a ton we don't know. We have no idea. The jailer obviously can't use the gate. ...that you use. If he could, he'd just simply have already used it. The Jailer can't leave the the Shadowlands right now. All of this seems to be an attempt to grow powerful enough... ...conquer enough of the Shadowlands... ...that they can leave. But if if that's the case... ...if it was banished there... ...if it's reclaiming what is his... ...and Azeroth is the thing it's trying to reclaim... ...why is Azeroth his... What does that say? If the soul of this world is the thing that the Banished One seeks to reclaim, why is the soul of this world his? And, and we don't know... Remember that this is the final Titan, remember?
1: Yep, they've, we've, we've heard that a few times, that this is the last Titan. The final Titan.
0: Now, I keep coming back to the idea... At some point in the distant past, Sargeras split a planet open and killed its world soul. That's, you know... That relates to this, but I don't know how. I don't know if it's as simple as Azeroth is, like... The daughter of that world soul, because I don't know how that works. Like, how how does this... What is his? How is Azeroth what is his? That's the thing that we we don't... We don't have an answer for this. Like, I, I could sit here and I could make stuff up... Like Joe just made up a whole thing about the you know arbiter and and the the jailer and why yeah. the jail, you know, just made that up right there. I mean, yeah, that there's true. nothing in the game telling you one way nope. or the other. Not and at all. And that's that's cool. I mean, we enjoy doing that kind of thing. It's what we do here. But at the same time, <clears throat> there's no substantial some, yeah, substantialness
1: to it. We don't. It's not something we know.
0: Yeah. There's nothing in game right now that that answers this question. It is interesting, however, that the Jailer already seems... As soon as the Lich King went down... The Jailer was ready to pick up the pieces and take control of the Scourge. And that makes it feel like the reason that there must always be a Lich King... Is not to keep the the Scourge from running rampant, as we were told... But to keep keep the the Scourge from running rampant under the Jailer. Mm -hmm. And that might be the original reason the Jailer was willing to create the Helm of Domination in the first place. Because we know the Helm of Domination even in its broken form, can control creatures in the Maw.
1: And it's linked because we use it to look into the Maw. It's linked to the Maw. So, Matt's right, though. Like, there's a million things we can make up, but we don't really have a whole lot of concrete evidence to really go on. The other option, or the other thing that I keep thinking about might wind up giving us more information, is one of the things that we learn about in Oribos, one of the things we learn about as we're going through Shadowlands, Uh, is the First Ones. It is, uh, we don't know who they are. There's not really a whole lot of it, but we know that the First Ones essentially created or were part and parcel with creating those that oversee the various realms of the Shadowlands, whether it's the Primus uh, or the Winter Queen or anything like that. They all have a linkage to the First Ones in some capacity. And we know that somehow the Arbiter and the Jailer are linked to the First Ones as well. There's not a whole lot of information of how yet, and I suspect that'll be something we find more as we go through. But then it begs the question of, is there a linkage between the First Ones and the Titans? Is that some reason why the Jailer would be interested in Azeroth, in particular Azeroth's soul? Is there something where, is that how he takes form? Because one of the things I keep thinking about, and, and we see in the Maw, like we just talked about with Bane... Is that Bane's possessed by things, by entities, by spirits or anima, whatever you want to call it, from the Maw, these horrible creatures. What if that's the ultimate escape plan for the Jailer, is to infest the Titan and take over its body to replace its soul or mind with his? We don't know. Could be, could not be. Uh, This is another one of those things where we're getting little tiny breadcrumbs, little tiny pieces of possibility at this point, but nothing concrete, and we could speculate. But I would feel that anything we would we we could posit, anything we can push forward, doesn't have enough to feel good. Uh, a lot of times, when you know the past tinfoil hats and a lot of our theories that we've presented in the past are all us looking at patterns and figuring out next logical steps based on that. This is one of those things where. This particular Herald Delora, there's statements that they make. It's just another early breadcrumb. It's another early piece, and we don't have enough of the whole picture to really understand what it even means. So it presents more questions than answers. I think at this point. Uh, anything else you want to add?
0: I mean, I keep thinking about the concept of. I mean, you could use. It could be that he wants to use the uh, soul of Azeroth the way he's using other souls, because he, you know, souls are both, like, they're like weapons and currency, sorry, currency and resource to them. They use them to make those giant golems, they they use them. Everything you see in the Maw, like, that's walking or attacking or what have you, is somehow related to this. So it's quite possible he just wants a really big, powerful soul. I mean, Titan souls usually don't seem to end up in the Shadowlands. So I don't know. I honestly have no idea. But it is interesting. One of the thing the connection people have made is like. But I keep coming back to it. Like you know, if he's reclaiming what is his, why is it his? Yeah. What does that mean? Like, is there a, like was there a time when the first ones were creating these figures, that the Shadowlands and the material realm we live in were one place? Like, were they separated on purpose? Like. Was it the Jailer's fault that they were separated? Did, did the cycle of anima begin with the Jailer? I mean, like, how? what's going on? We don't have an answer to that, but it is interesting to think about. The
1: other thing that uh, somebody presented the other day to me in a conversation we were having is that uh, just looking at character models in general, the Jailer and the Arbiter both essentially have holes in their chest, right? Uh, the Arbiter looks like it's where something is placed uh, versus... Uh, like, there's something there burning a little bit. But when you look well, at the I Jailer, mean, it's like a complete void.
0: If you want to go back into the speculation thing, if the Jailer has a void in his chest, we, we go back to, a, this is something that they've used in a multiple games now, the concept of figures that break away from each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the the whole idea of Tathamet and Anu, both ori- the original Anu pulled all of the evil out of itself and threw it aside, and that created, you know, Tathamet It's possible that the Jailer and Arbiter have that relationship in reverse. Like, the the Jailer did something horrible, and all of the positive elements of its being were ripped out of it, and those elements became the Arbiter, who watches over the thing that the Jailer was supposed to, and the Jailer is banished because it, you know, did whatever horrible thing created the maw, perhaps. I don't know. I can sit here and speculate all freaking day, but I don't have enough information to go on right now.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that was presented to me is something that I'm not uh, completely dismissing, uh, but it's the idea that what if the Titans were cast from whatever the original entity was, that created the Arbiter and the Jailer going off of what you just said, if it's that sort of mythology where one being was broken into multiple parts. Because uh, if you look at it, one of the interesting things about all the Titans, even though that they are Titans, they all seem to have very distinct areas of influence, whether it's arcane or time or life or whatever the case is, they all have something that they're particularly good at. Uh, and the, the idea that was presented was, what if the jailer it's he's the statement here is something like he wants to reclaim it because that's a piece of him, right? He understands what happened because one of the other things that is, I don't want to say like tropey, but we have definitely seen them do in the past is one piece will not understand that it's a piece of a whole and one part figures out that it's a piece of a whole and wants to reclaim all of its former self. Uh, we've seen that happen in various stories, not just in blizzard games, uh, but just stories throughout, you know, fantasy history here, as we want to call it. It's so that is something that could also be a possibility where, you know, maybe the titans were created from whatever the first one, d- first ones did to make, you know, the arbiter and the other things. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the jailer is going after the heads of each of the. Uh, different areas, because that's one of the things that, and again, slight spoiler, but each of the leaders of each of the areas is under siege at some point, Uh, or Maldraxxus, the Primus is already dead. Like, these are things that might be playing into that particular role. Again, we don't know enough. We could speculate all day long. We can make a million guesses. We could do it all day long, every day. We don't know yet. And I think this is one of those things where, It will be revealed over time, but it will take time. Uh, I don't think there's really much else to add to that one, and we have one more question left, but I don't think we have enough time to really get to it, so we'll save it for next week. Instead, I'm going to do something we haven't done in a while. I'm going to ask for a final thought. From what you've seen so far, from your experience in Shadowlands, going through your, your playthroughs and everything like that, Is there a particular thing that you've come across that you don't like yet? Something that doesn't really resonate with you or feels like it might be out of place? Have you encountered anything that you don't enjoy so far in the storyline
0: for Shadowlands? I mean, uh, I feel like to a certain degree, I, I don't know enough about them yet to say anything like that. So far, everything I've experienced has been at least good. I haven't, I haven't. There's nothing I've done. I've been like, oh, this is garbage. I don't want to do this. Um, I'm trying to think of like. For me, like the the zone I've done the most is Bastion, followed by Ardenweald. Um, I've done a little bit of of Revendreth. I've done nothing in Maldraxxus. I straight up haven't gotten to Maldraxxus. Haven't done it. Um, and keep in mind, this is all before they reset everybody. Um... I would say that I think Revendreth is extremely interesting, but it's not necessarily what I, I'm not like super excited about it because it's just not my aesthetic. But it's it's really interesting and it's really well done. Uh, *Maldraxxus* looks to be like an interesting if you if you want to like it's got a lot of potential to it. I don't know how else to put this. Like, there's a lot of interesting stuff involving like, you know, helping the various figures and trying to figure out what happened to the Primus, where the Primus even is, because that, that's not clear. Um, but I, I really do love Bastion. I think Bastion's absolutely my favorite. I love Bastion. Uh, Ardenweald I like, but I had a real problem. Like, When I get into it, for some reason, it felt like they had tuned it weird. I was just getting destroyed by a couple of the quests, so I didn't finish going through it as much as I wanted to. But I did like what I was getting to see of it. Um, I really liked the idea of a certain green dragon being involved and, <laughs> and overall, I thought I liked the theater in, in, in yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. If, it, if there's anything I would say, I'm not a huge fan of Torghast. Um, I just, it's just not a kind of content I'm particularly interested in and lore wise. Uh, I'm interested in finding out what happens in Torghast, but I kind of. I'm kind of worried it's going to be one of those things where we don't find out till a much later patch. And I understand that we have to have some stuff like that. There has to be stuff that happens, but I don't know. I would have to say that from right now, I'm on a wait and see. I don't have. There's nothing that I'm like, yeah, this is bad. I don't like it.
1: Yeah, and I'm in sort of in the same boat. And the reason I ask it is because I, I've been thinking about this a lot. And normally, I'm very nitpicky with with things like I, I'm very keen to look and be critical. And this is one of those few times with what I've seen so far. I haven't really run across anything that I don't really care for quite yet. Um, I haven't done any of Torgas, so I can't really speak of it. But I'm—I feel right now that at least me personally, this is probably the most interesting experience I've had in a leveling experience in a little while. And and I, not to to take away from the negativism that that I'm saying, but I I. So was a sleeper for me. I thought that I was going to be in love with Ardenweld and only Ardenweld and nothing else. Like, I thought it was going to be something that resonated with me, and that was going to be it. Bastion actually made me feel un- weirdly uncomfortable, which was good. and made me feel a certain strong way and made me react to things that were happening uh, in a way that, you know, for me, made sense. Uh, and, and then I got to Maldraxxus, and... It was way different than I expected it to be. The storyline that's presented there, the characters that you interact with, everything that happens there, it's incredibly intriguing. Uh, where Bastion made me feel uncomfortable, arnwald made me feel very much at home, Maldraxxus makes me feel intrigued. It makes me want to dive further into things in the history of that particular area, and it's something that I haven't really felt in a while when it comes to, like, leveling through zones. Like, in Battle for Azeroth, the zones were cool, but I didn't really feel the need to, like, oh, yeah, what's going on with with Nazmir? Like, I really need to know what's happening here. I didn't, like, I got through it, the story was great, but I didn't feel the need to dive deep with Maldraxxus. It's like... No, I want to I sit here. I want to catalog everything. I want to get a journal out. I want to do all of the things. So it's interesting to me. And again, I haven't found anything too negative, but who knows what'll happen. I, I, I'm looking forward to trying Torghast uh, and seeing how I feel about it, because I'm wondering if I will echo uh, how Matt feels about it. Uh, But I think that's all we're going to have time for today. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for joining us. If you have any questions for the podcast uh, or the other podcasts, please be sure to send them in at podcast at blizzardwatch.com or send them to one of our various Q channels. And with that, we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.